Welcome to Outside the Music Box. I'm Chloe Prendergast. And I'm Emma Williams. We're so glad you've joined us today. We're both violinists based in the Netherlands and have created this podcast in our search to find fun new ways to share and talk about music we love. Today, we have a special bonus episode where we tell you how we figured out PayPal and therefore how easy it is for you to give us money. And also we answer your questions. So as you probably have guessed, making this podcast takes a whole lot of time, effort and money to produce. Um, And in order to help make this sustainable, we would love for you to consider donating. We created Music Box in order to help break down barriers surrounding conventional classical music concerts. It started as a concert series in The Hague in the Netherlands and now is obviously also a podcast. We believe that classical music should be accessible to everyone, so for our concert series, every concert is pay as you feel. We ask our audiences to pay whatever they feel the concert was worth to them in relation to what they have, which apparently is called value for value in the podcast world. Um, We want to keep this model here on the podcast. So donating doesn't give you any extra goodies, but it does help keep the podcast going for everyone to enjoy. So here's all the fun information. We now have a PayPal account where you can donate directly. It works for every type of currency anywhere in the world. You just have to have a PayPal account, which is super easy to create. And we've linked this in the show notes, but you can just type paypal.me forward slash music box concerts into your browser and you'll be on the donate page. Choose your currency and the amount you want to donate. Click donate and sign in or register for an account. It's really quick and easy. Yay! Um, And you can leave us a note telling us if you want to be thanked or you just left anonymous. Um, We haven't really figured out yet if you can make a subscribe option. Um, So if you want to donate monthly, we'd love that. But we don't know how that works yet. So um, if anyone does know how to do this, please let us know because we, yeah, we so far haven't figured that out. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so money talk finished. Um, Now let's have a look at some of the interesting questions people have sent in. Yay! First of all, thank you everybody for sending in questions. Yeah, that was super interesting. Super interesting. We, um, we're going to do our best to answer them. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll try. (laughs) This is like a new, this is a new thing for us. We realize that now we've gotten used to how we do our normal episodes. We ask other people questions. (laughs) Now Now we're being asked questions. And now, yeah, it feels different. Anyway, we'll try. Okay, (laughs) so lots of people have asked us what the opening music is um, from each of the start of our episodes, and we actually are playing on it. Yes, we are. are. Um, We recorded this uh, piece in early 2019. It's on an album called Silk Baroque with Holland Baroque, and a really excellent Chinese Shang player uh, named Wu Wei. Uh, we highly recommend the whole album. You should mm-hmm. check it out. We'll link it in the show notes. It's on Spotify. You can yep. order it by going to the Holland Baroque website. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what a Chinese sheng is, it's this amazing, uh, I think, 3,000-year-old Chinese mouth organ. Mm. Um, and it sounds incredibly amazing and beautiful and also looks really cool. So yeah. um, we would suggest it's exactly what you think out. it is. It's yeah. an organ that you then blow into and you hold it in front of your face. Yeah. Just a mini organ. It's yeah. Amazing. There are a lot of pipes that like yeah. go up yeah. from the yeah. 
Anyway, Ruai is amazing. So he's really amazing, out. and, and we'll yeah, link that I guess. A joy to collaborate with. But um, this track is called. Well, it's weirdly been called a lot of different things because yeah. we've performed it a lot of times. But uh, I think on this album it's called Silk Rondeau for Maita. For Maita, yeah. Yeah, and it was written by uh, Judith Steinbrink. She's the twin sister of Tinika Steinbrink, who we interviewed on one of our earlier episodes. She also is co-artistic director of Holland Baroque. And um, we really love the piece. We think it's really beautiful. We felt like the vibe was right for yeah. our podcast. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And we're playing on it. Woo! <laughs> it was a fun recording session. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Our next question uh, came from Ruby, and she was wondering, after hearing our first episode about the Mozart Requiem, she was wondering about what a reconstruction is. We talk about uh, Mozart Requiem having reconstructions, and would love to know what that is. So in general, a reconstruction is if there's a reason the piece wasn't finished or doesn't have all of the parts complete or yeah. we're missing some, like even if it was complete but we don't, for some reason some of those parts were lost, yeah. then uh, somebody either now or sometime in the past will go through it uh, or has gone through mm -hmm. and finished writing it so that it can be performed as a full piece. Yeah, it's basically like looking at the Roman ruins and then recreating a whole city out of them. So that you could actually live there. Yeah. Yes. But in music. <laughs> We're still on the Mozart Requiem um, episode. We've got a question from Leah, and she um, was interested by the um, amount of times the Mozart Requiem has been used in commercial and pop culture, and she was sort of wondering, like, where has classical music been used in, in pop culture? There's a lot of classical music that's been used in lots of different things. Um, I mean, in terms of Mozart's music, we just had a look at the IMDb page, and there's <laughs> literally just all of the list of all of his music that's been used in like films and tv shows ever so if you want to check that out that's pretty fun mm. lots of movies have some great classical music in it totally um the king's speech has a really good oh, yeah. um bit at the end where the king is about to give his speech <laughs> at the end and they've got schubert's is it from his unfinished symphony i, can't yeah, remember. I, have I haven't out, seen that movie in a long time yeah um but that's a very that's a good moment. And um, hilariously, we have been 
watching all of the main Avenger movies. I have to clarify that we didn't watch all of the Avenger movies. <laughs> this is how much um, we know about the Avengers is because we were telling people like, oh, we're making our way through all the Avengers movies. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's so many movies. Yeah. And we were like, it's only four. Yeah. So we watched the main group ones where they're all together <laughs> um, in lockdown. And we, which one was it though? I can't remember I can't which remember one it was. the first one, but I think. Yeah. Um, and they had so a bit of remember. the Schubert Rosamund string quartet, like for a very long time while they were pulling this heist or something. And yeah. It was very it's intense. It's like in an opera in. Yes. In an opera house in Vienna. I think, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> it was like a real string quartet playing. Those were real musicians, and that was cool to see also. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yes, because that's one of our pet peeves. Yes. Seeing musicians in movies yes. who just are faking it. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but I guess there's, there's lots of classical music all, all throughout the, the commercial and pop world. Mm. Yeah. So check it out. Our next question is from Rosie who uh, was talking about the organ being such a grand instrument that can fill a space um, with sound on its own and was wondering if Emma or I have played in a group that includes an organ and wanted to know about what that experience was like. Mm -hmm. We have played with organs many times. Yes. And I think the great thing is that there are different types of organs. So there's like really huge ones that are built within the church, like they're part of the structure of the church. So they're huge. Yeah. And they're, I've sung a lot with those actually when I was singing in choirs for churches. And that's an amazing experience singing with a huge organ in a big church with like amazing acoustics. That's amazing. Um, yeah. But then we also play a lot of like chamber music with these small organs that are portative l- organs, we call them. Yeah. Um, they're portable they yeah. like are electric now you plug them in they're easily transportable yeah they're also great to play with that's like really nice yeah, yeah they create this kind of like warm bath of sound i think mm. you feel like you're kind of just sitting on this really nice resonating sound um when you play yeah so. then i mean the nice thing about an organ is that the sound the sound continues mm. um yeah so it's unlike a harpsichord where the the strings are plucked and then the sound dies. Yeah. So with an organ, you can really sink into the that bath of sound. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it is always, of course, such a treat to be able to play with an organ in an in a church. Yeah. It just fills the room. It's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and it's fun to feel like you're a part of that sound. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to try so hard making your own sound good. Yeah. Because <laughs> the organ yeah. helps you. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, good question. We love organs. Check yes. out Tinica's episode. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, and she talks about this specific organ uh, that she grew up playing, and that I've played with her with that organ before mm. in a group, and that was that was a really special, beautiful experience. It's really fun.
Okay, so this next question comes from Jonica, who uh, sent in some really lovely, sweet comments yeah. about how he's been feeling listening to these episodes, which really uh, means a lot to us. It really does mean a lot. It's so nice to have positive feedback. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice because we like create this thing and then we send it out into the world yeah. and then we don't really know yeah. how people are feeling listening mm. to it. Also, because like, I guess we're so used to, we play concerts and we get immediate feedback. That's true. <laughs> like, Whether we, positive or negative. Yeah, we at least know what's happening with the people that we're connecting with, whereas yeah. on the internet... You don't. You don't know. <gasps> yeah, even if you're not getting... Like, the immediate feedback is really just also seeing and feeling your audience and, like, yeah. looking at their faces yeah. when you finish or yeah. whatever, and that gives you a whole lot of feedback. Yeah, definitely. We're not seeing any of your faces, no. which is a bummer. Um, anyway, so, really anyway, nice to get comments. <laughs> we got some very nice comments um, from Jonica. He really loved Julia's podcast about Bieber, and um, she in that podcast talks about scordatura, which is a way of tuning the violin strings in different ways, and how that relates to the emotions of each piece. And so then Jonica was wondering uh, what we do to keep the gut strings that we have on our instruments sounding sweet um, and what the differences are between what we call modern violins and historical violins. Is it just the gut strings? What are the differences between the two? Yeah, he just opened a whole can of worms there. So yes. we're going <laughs> to... So lots of great questions. Um, that's what we spend our lives doing. So, mm. yeah, it does take a lot of our time. Yeah, it does. And energy, I would say, um, trying to make sure our instruments behave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either, I mean, violins can be very temperamental. Yeah. Um, you know, like the weather here just changed and then my violin started sounding not great, so I yeah. need to take it into somebody to have it looked at, I think something might need to get adjusted mm. or fixed, like, more than I can fix on my own. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, like, sometimes when there's drastic changes, we have to get, like, a luthier because they know what to do to fix things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but day-to-day, -day, I guess we... I mean, we just have to tune our strings all the time um, because we're using gut strings. So, because, yeah, we're literally using strings made of the guts of cows and sheep. Yeah. Um, rather than metal. Which so, is what modern violins use. Yeah. So they're just, because they're literally organic beings, <laughs> Yeah. they they do get affected, like us, like humans. Um, they also break a lot break more a easily. Lot. Yeah. They break a lot, especially our um, E top strings, string. our top string, because it's the thinnest. Yeah. Yeah, that can be a hazard, actually. Yeah, We've true. had quite a few breaks where it's, like, either hit very close to the eye or, like, I've had it um, scratch my eyelid. Ooh, yikes. the break, yeah. That was a bit painful. That's scary. That was just before a concert started as well. That was not a fun time. That is not a fun time. I've definitely had it break and, like, give me a little yeah. welt on my face. Yeah. But it's never gotten close enough to my eye yeah, so it's not far. Um, yeah. So, uh, hope that answers your question. Yeah, I'm not sure if that did, but gut strings oh, are annoying, but they sound really beautiful. Yeah, how do we make them sweet though? How do we make them sweet? Um, you so practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard. I mean, also like what we're hearing under our ears doesn't sound like what is happening out there like it often mm. it sounds scratchier right under my ear than it does 
out yeah. in a hall. Playing in a church makes him sound sweet. <laughs> That's true. If you play in a bathroom, yeah. then it sounds sweet. No, I don't know. Also, I mean, it does depend on the, the weather, actually. Yeah, like, it does. If, it, if there was a drastic weather change, uh, the strings will stop sounding as sweet. Yeah. It really takes a while to adjust. So, okay, so now we have a series of questions about being a musician and, like, preparing music and what our lives look like. These come from uh, Chelsea, Andrew, and Joellen. And so they're, I'm just going to sort of combine all of these slash um, read these questions in a row, and then I guess we'll just sort of talk about... Yeah, they're all kind of related. They're all kind of related, yeah. So Chelsea was saying that what she thinks she's most captivated by in these conversations is our day-to-day. So she's wondering what practices look like um, if we're workshopping. She says if you're workshopping a song, does everybody come together to practice, or just the folks in the section? How do you get good at a song so fast? Excellent question. She wants to know sort of what a day in the life looks like. Andrew wants to know how we approach learning and playing a piece we've never played before, especially if it's a new work that no one's heard or played before, or I guess if even if it's an old work that mm. nobody's recorded or played. Yeah. Um, he wants to know if there's a basic formula. Um, and then Joellen was asking how we prepare for performances in the hours and minutes before going on stage um, and what our concert day routine is. Mm. Yeah, great questions. And yes. there's a lot in there yeah (laughs) um so I guess just like generally our day-to-day lives are pretty random yeah we don't really do routine or we try to do routines that then change (laughs) yeah I guess so um for like a normal rehearsal day so that would be like when we're learning a new set of pieces with people to prepare for a concert um we probably would have about six hours of rehearsal standard. Um, yeah, for yeah, like definitely. A, an orchestra. Usually, we have like and three hours of rehearsal with breaks, and then a, a like an hour long lunch or dinner break, and then three more hours of rehearsal. Yep. Um, and before that happens, we will have gotten the music ahead of time, mm-hmm. and we will have practiced our own parts. We would have figured out like how does our part relate to, in the context of other people's parts. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of preparation that goes in ahead of time so that you come to the first rehearsal prepared with your own part. Yeah. So that then you can work really effectively with everyone else in the group. Yeah. As quickly as possible because, yeah, usually we'll only have like two or three days of rehearsal before a concert or a recording. Um, so we all have to kind of work quite effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess, yeah, so on those days... I mean, for me, I would usually do some sort of exercise, like running, yoga, like yep. weird aerobic workshop in the park that I like to do, <laughs> um, and do some like technical warm-ups with my instruments, so like scales and things like that, basically warming up my body but with my instrument as well, I guess mm-hmm. that would be that. And then, yeah, often there's like at least an hour or two on a train to somewhere to get yeah. to the rehearsal. 
I mean, this is also our lives in the Netherlands. People's yeah. lives are, musicians' lives are different in different parts exactly. of the world. Yeah. Like, obviously, here we take trains. Yeah. We bike to a train station, and then we take a train. Or if we're lucky enough to be rehearsing in the city that we're living, we just Ooh, bike there. And we just bike there. Oh, but that's you, a luxury. That is a luxury. <laughs> Usually, we bike to a train station, we take a train, and then we walk from the train station to where our rehearsal is. Yep. And it could be in any city. Yeah, and then we rehearse together and eat together and usually then get a drink together as well afterwards if we yeah, have energy. Yeah. Um, so that's like a sort of rehearsal day. Um, and how do you get good so fast? We practice, practice. a lot. I don't, I don't know. You get better at doing things quicker, yeah. I guess. Oh, and how do we approach learning a piece we've never played before? It just depends what, if it's a new piece that is literally new, like a composer mm. has just written it, and so then you don't have a recording of it, you don't have anything else to kind of copy, I guess, um, when you're preparing it. So you're really just looking at the score and seeing what you can find out from looking at it, or maybe if the composer's there, you can ask them, but um, yeah. Yeah, and the it's... more we play, the more... Um we sort of know different musical languages. Yeah. And so then we can put in context where this musical language fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we kind of know the languages of, you know, Italy in the first half of the 18th century. And that yeah. kind of helps us know then, like, quickly what, how to decipher what the score says. So what's written on the page. Yeah. Or if it's from France in that time, it'll actually mean something different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we kind of use our collective historical knowledge, I guess, of different yeah. periods of music to, to help us quickly, like, identify what the notes mean for when we're, like, playing through it physically, Yeah, I guess. And then we just also are like, this sounds good, let's do it this way. Yeah, yeah, feels good. Um, yeah. And I guess, uh, the day of our performance, mm. some of that's... Uh, similar to what Emma was just saying with rehearsals, for me, yeah, I would usually wake up and do some yoga. I do that most mornings, yeah. um, slowly, like, have some breakfast. I sort of try and just get myself ready. I have as slow a start to the day as possible yeah. so I can conserve my energy. Yeah, that's really important. Because you have to be able to... That's the weird thing is that um, we have to be at, like, our peak between, I don't know, usually like 8 and 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you have to sort of figure out how to pace yourself yeah. to get ready. So on the day of a concert, I would get up, do some slow warm-up on mm. my instrument, get food ready for yeah. to take for the day, um, gather my we things. have a, like a warm-up rehearsal. Yeah, take the train and then we have a warm-up rehearsal. I mean, so I'd probably have to leave by late morning. Mm. And then, yeah, take the train and then have a warm-up rehearsal and then a break where we eat some food and... But not too much food because too you much don't food. want to no. <laughs> perform on a really full stomach because no. that is the worst. You need, like, enough food to not have low blood sugar while you're performing yeah. and have, like, adrenaline coursing through your body. Yeah. Um, but... Not too much, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, I don't know, for me, part of that routine is also, like, getting my concert clothes on, getting mm. my makeup on, yeah. like, getting getting myself in the zone that way, and we sort of do that usually as a group. 
yeah. um, backstage in the green room and um, warming up on any last minute things. And, um, and we'll go backstage and just sort of wait and sound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I um, I don't know if anybody's who's listening has seen that uh, TED talk about uh, power posing. Oh yeah, I definitely often power pose right before I'm going to go on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely stand backstage and like do a lot of breathing and like power pose and we make jokes and talk about stuff. Tune. Yeah. There's definitely the tuning. A lot of tuning right before you go on stage. Yeah. I like lying on the floor with my knees bent mm. um, for a while. I mean, I yeah. like doing that all the time, but um, especially before a concert, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Kind of centers yourself, do a bit of breathing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely get in a specific kind of like pre-concert zone. Mm. Yeah. Where I'm like trying to keep myself both focused and um, like in the moment and relaxed and ready. Yeah, it's like calmly energized. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like... Energized, but not too much. But yeah. then, yeah, it's it's a weird yeah. combination of things. I have a friend who um, said that she goes for achieving calm and versatile focus. Ooh. Yeah. Sounds fancy. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. 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 Versatile focus, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. But also sometimes, hours and minutes before performance can be not that that's probably like best case that's ideal scenario yeah because some performance days you either have traveled the night before and arrived where (laughs) that's true super super late and you're in this like foreign town you have no idea what's going on and then you wake up in the morning and you don't know whether you've got breakfast included in the hotel or not and so then you have to go you don't know where you are you don't don't know know where you are super jet lagged yeah or (laughs) whatever and then you don't know how to get to the performance venue and like so it can also be quite bad or you or you're traveling on the concert day as well and you literally get to the hall and go straight into warm-up and then concert. Like yeah, those, that, those that definitely happens. Yeah. But or then, there's a travel delay, a train delay, yeah. and you're not sure. I mean, that's why you always leave enough time that you're for sure going to make the concert. But yeah. sometimes, like, you really... Occasionally we've missed whole rehearsals yeah. because there have been train unavoidable delays train or delays or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah. it, this never a dull moment yeah. in our lives. Anyway, that's what happens... Oh, and then after the concert, then we play a concert. Yeah, so then we do the concert. And, and then... Usually it's good. <laughs> yeah, usually it's great. It's awesome. And then um, afterwards, usually we will, if we have time, we stay and chat and have a drink with the audience and each yeah. other. Yeah. Have a nice chill and um, hang out together and then take the train back home. Yeah. Get home super late at night. Yeah. Um, and feel both like really awake and energized and also really, really tired. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to get to sleep straight away yeah. after concerts. Yeah. It's really hard. Usually you have to like watch a crappy show on Netflix or like read. <laughs> Do something or, to like yeah, calm something. yourself down before yeah. you can sleep. But it isn't it it is not abnormal to get home after one in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually easier when you're on tour and then you just go to the hotel. Yeah, it's true. to wherever the concert venue is. That's true. I find. It can be, yeah. yeah. I know, it's true. There's sort of a different tour routine as opposed to, like, when you're home. Yeah. Concert routine. Yeah, it definitely depends. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, that was a long answer That's, to your question yeah. and maybe was helpful. And who knows? <laughs> cool. 
Um, next. <laughs> I think this is our last question. Oh, well, we have this one, and then we have a final question. Yeah. Um, do you want me to do this one, or do you want to do this one? What is this again? Uh, yeah. So this is from Joellen. And she was listening to Tinika's episode, and also she watched a live stream of a recent recording done by Holland Barock. Um, and she is wondering about the communication between players without a conductor. Um, so she said, all those seamless stops and starts, how is it um, kind of listening cultivated in the ensemble? And what does it feel like when it's all going well and when it's all going badly? <laughs> Very good question. Mm, very good question. We had to sort of think about this one and mm. talk about it. I think we're going to still have to continue to talk and think about it. Yeah, this is round one of answers. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I mean, the concrete answers that we can start with are that we somebody is sort of a designated leader, and they are the one who's in charge of cueing the beginning of a, mm. of a piece or a movement or whatever we're starting. They're in charge of... Um, cueing us in and they'll do that with a breath and a movement usually this is the the concert master the first violin but not always that's just because it's easier to see what's happening with their bow yeah um and they're at the front and they're at the front so everybody can see them and so they'll breathe in a way that indicates both um how fast you're playing and the mood that you're about to play in Mm -hmm. um so you get a lot of information from the way that uh, that person, that leader is breathing and leading you in. Yeah. And then everybody in the ensemble ideally breathes with them. And that is when it works well. If yeah. not everyone breathes together in the yeah, same way to start it, yeah, then it doesn't work. That's one way where things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what we that's what we try to work on in rehearsals often. We try to get the collective feel and groove settled Mm. in those rehearsals so that then when the leader does that cue which you know lasts not even a second then everyone snaps into that mood and that that speed of playing yeah Um, you lock into it as fast as possible and also it's that when that happens everybody is hearing what the piece is going to sound like before you start so you have it in your head already you have it the whole piece and then also how your part fits into it yeah. before you've started, ideally. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I mean, when it's going well, it's hard to really know if it's going to go well or not um, because yeah. it depends on the personalities of the people playing and also how well you know them. Like, mm. I, it's really, it helps so much if you know the people really well and you've been playing together for a long time because yeah. you can just read them much quicker um you know how they do certain things yeah how they play um but then like there's some people where you will literally just meet them and straight away you'll click i mean it's just like any kind of relationship with anyone friendship or or whatever you know some people you just click with straight away and then it's super easy to communicate with them and then some people, (laughs) you can't really communicate with them no matter how long you've known them and you don't really know why that (laughs) is you don't know why that happens So. It's the same musically. Yep. Yeah. I um, mean, sometimes we talk about, well, I don't know if we talk about in rehearsal, like, hey, I just don't understand you. That d- we don't really talk about. Yeah. But um, sometimes we say it in a more subtle way than that. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, that is true. I'm not exactly sure how clear your sound is. 
Please, you make no sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, sometimes we talk about any of these things. We talk about what kind of a mood we're going for. We're talking about the tempo or groove. We talk about who's sort of, um, whose part is in charge of uh, propelling that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we talk about that in rehearsals often, but not always. Sometimes it doesn't need to be talked about. Sometimes it needs to be like figured out. Sometimes we have to try a lot of different things. Because we're not exactly sure what's going to work best. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really depends on the, the moment and the people, like the combination of people yeah. involved. And the things yeah. you're playing. And sometimes it's super easy to do and sometimes it's really complicated. And yeah. Yep. Um, and now we've got one final question for this episode and it comes from Rosie again and she has a great question. She said, Emma, <laughs> Chloe, what piece with another instrument are you jealous of? She's asking our normal ending question <gasps> back at us. Of course she is. So smart to ask Very us smart. the question we ask everybody. Uh, I mean, there's a reason we haven't answered it yet. It's yeah. because it's a hard question. <laughs> so many I mean, I guess so. We've talked already that we both love viola da gamba. Yes. So we love anything by any composer that writes for that instrument. And I, yes, so hard. I think we talked also about bassoon parts in uh, early French operas uh, with uh, Dominic in his episode, mm-hmm. and I stand by that. I think that's. I'm very jealous of that. I wish I could be a bassoonist. And I, we've talked, I think this was one of Kati's pieces that she's jealous of, but um, the Brahms Second Piano Concerto. Mm. I just am totally in love with that piece, and I really wish that I could play the piano well enough to play that piece. Yeah. I mean, there are so many awesome pieces, and we could probably keep rattling off many, yeah. many forever. You know what? We'll just like answer this question again next time, and yeah. maybe we'll have different answers. Yeah, it'll probably change. It does change all the time. Well, I guess that's all the questions. Thanks so much <laughs> for joining us, and thanks so much to everyone who wrote in to ask questions. Yeah, it's please really keep doing that. We'll do more of these episodes yeah. if it's interesting for you. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, also... Uh, if you can, consider donating. We have a really great friend, Joanna Neuschatz, who does an amazing job with editing our audio each episode, and we would really like to pay her as well. Yeah, so um, just recapping on our PayPal thing, you can go to paypal.me forward slash musicboxconcerts, and it's super easy to just donate whatever currency, whatever amount you want. Um, and you can either leave your name or leave it anonymous and we'll either thank you or we won't. Well, it's up to you. Um, we'll thank really you in our hearts. Yeah, even we'll if we don't thank you out loud. In our souls. <laughs> thank you all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Outside the music box. <laughs> 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 <laughs>